What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying times here. Come with me if you want to live. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. The Force will be with you. Always. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm the immovable object, your usual host, Scott Weatherly. And I'm joined by the unstoppable force, Chris Phelps. Chris, how are you doing? <laughs> I like your intros better than mine and Dave, Scott. Anyway, he doesn't, doesn't team me up the way you have, but no, I'm doing really well, mate. How, how are you with the lockdown? Oh, not too bad, not too bad. Working from home, keeping on it, sort of... Uh... Yeah, it's, um, it's Disney Plus came just at the right time. To be fair, yeah, yeah, it has to be fair. And, and what's funny is we're doing this free trial for the WWE Network, and I'm thinking, fuck me, I can't just all of a sudden start paying out sixteen pound a month for these two because there's loads of wrestling yeah. stuff I want to watch, and I know I can get it on a Fire Stick, um, but I'm just sort of like it's there in front of me. I, I, honestly, Scott. I've gone down rabbit hole after rabbit hole after last week's show. I've, I've I've absolutely loved it. It was a brilliant show. And thanks for having me on. No, it's good. I'm the same. I I actually I was thinking about this last night. I mean, we watched, I watched uh, as we we're going to talk about Royal Rumble '92, and then I was like, oh, what else were I like? Oh, I really like this. I really like that. And then I was just picking matches and segments I really liked off Raw. I mean, I literally went through and I was like, oh yeah, I really like that. There's an Undertaker Jeff Hardy ladder match from 2002. I was like, I'm going to watch that. And then I basically went through and watched. Do you remember when Stone Cold had a feud with Booker T? Yeah, yeah. And they were fighting, and they did sort of like they fought in the church, and they were fighting in the supermarket, and all that. I was just going through and finding all those segments just for the fun of it. I was like, you can, you can just go through and find them. It's an amazing. Uh, yeah, it is great. I'm gonna, I'm gonna miss it a little bit when, uh, when the trial's up. I think. I am. We're gonna have to cram as much as we can in now. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Up at like four in the morning, just trying to get through as many pay per views as possible. Oh, honestly, I mean, thanks uh, for choosing me for this, Scott. I really, I've loved every minute of it, mate. Oh, this has been this has been great fun. I say it's uh, you say about rabbit holes, it is. It's really sent us down. But we, you've already just off air. You mentioned that the, what we're going to talk about today is going to send us down a couple, because um, this early nineties period is rife with ego and. Um, well, some criminal cases, really, isn't it? This is the sort of the height of the the uh, uh, steroids uh, abuse scandals of all the wrestling as well. So yes, big time, and 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 also it's also a pivotal point in Hulk Hogan's career with the WWF at the time as well because of that mm. and his his whole character development and stuff. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, this is one. So I, I have to admit up front. Well, firstly, we're going, we're going to be talking about Royal Rumble 1992, and I'm I actually love the Royal Rumbles. Um, I think one of the things we talked about in the last show was that it, the we just talked about Res, uh, WrestleMania 14, and it opened with um, basically a clusterfuck. It was a, you know it was fine. It was a it was a battle royal, but it, it's sort of it's it's big and it's messy and it's that sort of thing. But with the Royal Rumble, you get all of the ex- excitement of having all those workers in the ring, all those wrestlers in the ring. But like, just constantly going, for, you know, um, every two minutes somebody else joining, it just keeps the flow so much better. Um, I can't believe it took them till like, you know, in nineteen eighty-eight, I think was the first one. Um, such a good idea for a match. 
Oh, I, I love it, Scott. I, I'm not just saying it. It is my favourite uh, event for the wrestling. I know WrestleMania is like the, the flag bearer of everything WWE, mm-hmm. FWWE, and it it basically cemented Vince McMahon and the whole. Well, they took over all the old territories in the 80s, and everybody hated him, didn't they? But when he did WrestleMania one, and then two, and especially three, with the whole you know the the body slam that shook the earth with Andre and Hulk, um, it propelled. Hulk Hogan and the WWF to pop culture levels. We you, you can't even imagine. It was so big. Even though wrestling's big now and it still has an audience, there's nothing like around the Hulk Hogan era, or other than when Stone Cold was at his peak with Vince McMahon. And that that mm. Stone Cold I think was a better thing, but just to actually lay the foundation for what wrestling is, is Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon all day long. Oh yeah, god yeah. I, I have to admit as well, watching this I was a little bit um, trepidatious because, you know, we're going in at sort of like the tail end of the gimmick era. Um, And so, as we sort of talked about a little bit last, you know, in in the last show, and we actually get to see the Mountie in this one, which is amazing. Um, So I was a bit like, oh, is it going to be silly? Is it going to be a bit daft? Is it, you know, is it sort of like a bit too camp? Um, I I enjoyed this. I'll say it up front. I enjoyed this pay-per-view more, way more, in fact, than I enjoyed WrestleMania 14. Yes, I'm with you, Scott. I'll tell you why, because we're in full gimmick heaven, aren't we, as you've just said. It's yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah, I totally agree. I loved the Austin stuff and the Ken Shamrock, like we mentioned last week. And honestly, I, I had to listen back and had a right laugh because David said to me, went, I love listening to it, but I haven't got a clue who all these are. Because he, he sort of jumped <laughs> off around about this time. The one we're reviewing today, he jumped off. So he was, he'd, he'd gone past him, whereas obviously we carried on watching it. And uh, yeah, oh, it's fucking brilliant. Absolutely brilliant Royal Rumble. Well, the other thing is, you know, we talked about with that mania. There was a couple of flat matches, weren't there? There was sort of, uh, it started a bit weird. You had like the, the Battle Royal, then you had the sort of uh, the Cruiserweight or the Light Heavyweight. <clears throat> which is all fine, but there, I don't feel like there's a flat match in this. They've all got something I just sort of, just, I really enjoyed, that I was really into. Um, <laughs> you know, whether it just it was just ridiculousness or it was actually a really good match. I, it was just, it was all really good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so wh- wh- where were you with wrestling at this point then? 1992, were you sort of, this is watching it on Sky, I assume, and that sort of thing. Yeah, and as I said last week, what I did with this one was, because this was... Royal Rumble 92 was the precursor to WrestleMania 8 when it said last week about mm. Hogan and Warrior and the fact that he came back after you know a six months hiatus and saved Hulk. The big thing going on with um, himself and with, with like uh, Vincent Mann, this steroid thing, which I do want to sort of slightly talk about later. Um, so I was all in. I remember recording this on the German channel because obviously in Sky, it was pay-per-views back then. It was like... You still had to pay like £15, I think it was then. And I was like, we couldn't afford that. There's no way my dad... W- we couldn't have got away with doing the old... Putting the code in 1, 2, 3, 4 on the remote on Sky. And getting away with paying yeah. for it. You'd have fucking killed us. And there was the nine kids. There's no way. So, my dad would have battered me, literally. So, so I couldn't... We, we couldn't do it. However, I, I do remember like being transfixed by this. And also the fact that Ric Flair came in after like uh, this big thing about him being the champ. And, and I remember, I don't know if you remember, Scott, there was um, a TV show they used to do where they'd sit in an audience and it was a bit like a talk show. So you had Vincent Mann was like chairing it. You had Bobby the Brain, uh, Mr. Perfect, because Mr. Perfect at this time was doing the old, um, I've hurt my neck 
thing, which which mm. he had done, which is what Rick Rude did, and he had these insurance claims from Lloyd's in London, and they were told not to wrestle again if they re- can they claim basic insurance. So what they did was they got millions for it. So Mr. Perfect was unable to wrestle in '92, and he didn't wrestle for a few years. And had to buy his contract out to get the, to, because he would have been in breach of like you know got taken to court. And uh, I remember watching it, and for weeks it used to be on. I think Grilla Monsoon used to be there as well. And they'd be in the crowd, they'd have like normal crowd there, and they'd talk and they'd come in about, we've got, and Bob Rain goes, I've got a guy coming in who's going to take Hulk Hogan. And the anticipation of this show, every, and there was never any wrestling, it was just purely them talking in a studio. But I loved it. I don't know if you ever watched it, Scott, but I loved it. No, I don't remember it. I don't remember oh, it. But I love I, it. It's, it's funny because it's, it's like, I actually like that sort of stuff, that sort of the building up the anticipation and that sort of the talking and stuff. I, think that'd be, I might even track some of that down because that sounds fascinating. It, is, it might be on the WWE Network. I'm going to have to find the name of it because I remember mm. Mr. Perfect going on about it because obviously Mr. Perfect uh, ends up being an advocate for Ric Flair in WrestleMania 8. But he doesn't wrestle, obviously, in the Royal Rumble, and, and he's him and Bob. Well, he is on this, isn't yeah. he? He is in this Rumble, like he's yeah, he's like his, his number two sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so he's he's like he's always there, causing Myver and stuff at the side of the thingy, at the side of the ring. And honestly, I hope it was called Prime Time. It might be called WWE Prime Time. It was it was like a Jenny Springer type talk show? It was a, it was just ridiculous. And you get like Macho Man would come out and have a pop at like he he was on the there as well, and he he chats like Mr. Perfect, and that's when in. 92, SummerSlam 92, it was Hogue, it was supposed to be Macho Man and the Warrior against Mr. Perfect and Ric Flair. Mr. Perfect come out of retirement and stuff to, to fight and stuff and all. So it was just a weird, a weird show, but I loved it. <laughs> I can imagine that, because I say that's the thing, this 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 era, it's, um, in fact, I noticed it on this, on this pay-per-view. Um, promos and interviews seem to fall into two camps and You've got the workers and the managers in particular, so you get sort of, um, and I love I love um, Bobby the Brain Heenan. I think the guy is is so talented, <clears throat> such a great heel uh, commentator, sort of like you know the precursor to Jerry Lawler and stuff. But um, you get like the shouty shouty promo, which is clearly like okay, they haven't got great skills on the mic, but they can be big and intimidating and shouty. Um, and then you get this other camp of sort of like character style promos and um a bit more sort of nuanced and sort of i mean no, no even hogan's in that sort of camp um but I, I love watching these guys give their promos and there's sort of there's some really interesting ones on this show as well so uh i'd, I'd love to see them coming out and doing um <laughs> doing that on a jerry springer style show that'd be ace Oh, it was amazing. He's probably absolutely shit now, Scott, if you watched him. But <laughs> when he was a kid, it was like, you'd watch Superstars, which was shit. It was always like, you'd see like Hulk, no, Hulk Hogan never wrestled on Superstars, actually, but you'd see like, say, Sid Justice, or you'd see like the Ultimate Warrior, and, and they'd be mm. fighting against some no-mark and just like throw them over the top. You know, like, it'd, be, it'd just be ridiculous. Like Barry Horowitz was one. He used to slap the back of his shoulder. I don't know if you ever remember him. He was like a jobber. Uh, wrestler, uh, he was quite famous. He never won a match, but he always jobbed for like the best, uh, like, the big stars and stuff. Yeah, I think I was saying, I know the name. I think it's one of those, isn't it? So they had a couple of those that sort of um, when they were doing like the house shows and when they were doing that sort of thing, they just roll these guys out, and uh, or they just bring out some local talent and get them squashed, and then and then you know just to build up the their superstar. Um, yeah, I can imagine that's great because say. There's a couple of things in this um, 
that I, I thought were, in fact there's, there's one match in particular I'll point out that I thought was going to be a sort of a uh, a throwaway kind of squash and it, it no, nothing on this card is wasted if I'm honest I all think it's great um and so yeah, so nineteen ninety two is, is a cracking year. But let's, let's get into the match. Let's get into the sort of the the rundown uh, of, of the of the uh, the matches. I'll quickly run through them because it's not a huge amount actually. <clears throat> but there's an awful <laughs> there's an awful lot of tag team going on. There's a lot of wrestlers on this show. Yeah. Um, I mean, you start with uh, the new foundation, which um, uh, we'll get into is is. Uh, uh, Owen Hart and uh, Jim Ninehart uh, against the Orient Express with Mr. Fuji. I, mean, I, I, I love some Mr. Fuji. Um, you then get Roddy Piper versus the Mountie with Jim uh, Jimmy Hart uh, for the Intercontinental Championship. Uh, you then get the Beverly... So another tag team match. Then you get the Beverly Brothers versus the Bushwhackers um, with someone called Jameson on it. I didn't even know who that was. That's something that, that was well out of my head. Uh, followed by another tag team match, Natural Disasters, Earthquake and Typhoon versus uh, Legion of Doom. Now, we've covered Legion of Doom twice because they were obviously on Legion of Doom 2000 when we did WrestleMania 14. But this, this is the Legion of Doom that I know and love. Um, and then we go into the Royal Rumble. Uh, and it's about an hour and a bit long. So it's it's a really good, solid rumble. Um but let's go back to the start. Let's reset there. So, New Foundation versus Orient Express with Mr. Fuji. Um, what were your thoughts on that ma- this match? Well, what was interesting, Scott, was uh, Kato, who who is the masked like guy of the Orient Express. He's just an American guy, mm. obviously typical Vincent man. Let's just throw him in as a Asian <laughs> stereotype, you know, wrestler. He's that's the American. Uh, but what we can't miss on this, Scott, and we've got to talk about, is the fucking bodybuilding pants that Jim the Ample Nineheart and Owen Hart were wearing. Because I remember going to starting training when I was 16 in 95 and going with my cousin. And every gearhead in the gym, and I was a 16-year-old na- naive kid, he was just going with normal clothes. They had these stupid Doink the Clown pants on or whatever yeah. they are in the gym because they were supposed to be like... The legs were that big. Now, obviously, if you're a massive steadhead, a proper bodybuilder, you can't get normal tricky bottoms on. I get it. But every man and his fucking dog wore these clown pants. And I was thinking, I remember you just walking around, <laughs> filling out a place, because even, even my dad used to wear them. And he wasn't even a bodybuilder. And he used to always wear them. I'm like, but you don't even go to a gym and train. And he'd have them on. My dad was always fit, running, and and, and, yeah. and like, he'd do a bit of weights at home. But not like like proper lifting and that and they've got these pants on and they look fucking terrible now I know obviously they were you they hadn't they couldn't do anything with the anvil because he did split him and Brett up Brett had won the Intercontinental title from Perfect at SummerSlam 91 and he was he's a terrible wrestler anyway the anvil but of all the people to put him with they put him with Owen oh it's, it's, it's just I just I think the match is great but talk about an oddball Partnership. He's the powerhouse, isn't he? But fucking, uh, he missed so many spots in this get this match. Yeah, I was gonna say it's hilarious because it is. It, it's sort of um, I. I've always remembered sort of. Like, I. I think I've always had a soft spot for Jim Ninehart because he's that sort of like big, sort of really quite cumbersome kind of guy. Uh, especially when it's the Heart Foundation. Like you say, he was the powerhouse. Like you know, you had sort of the technical guys. Then he was just sort of like the um, the brawler. Um, but these two, when they come out, it's it's really funny, is because 
they're coming out. They've got like, they've got their brightly coloured clothes on. They've got that sort of like really sort of like early nineties, late eighties sort of like leather jackets and the whole sort of shebang, you know. And it's sort of Owen Hart can pull it off because he's a lot younger, you know. He's got the sort of the blonde hair and he he kind of looks like that, you know. He could be some sort of surfer dude kind of gimmick. Um, but Jim Neinhart and they're going to be fa- their face as well, so they're working face. So he's got a smile and all this other stuff, and he just looks really uncomfortable, <laughs> really awkward the entire time. Um, yeah, it's it's really hilarious to watch. It is, I mean, as a, as a spectacle, obviously the matches, uh, the fact that the Orient Express is just completely taking Owen out and just schooling him out. So Pat Tanaka is the guy without the mask. He was always in the Orient Express because I remember him against the Rockers in like '91 in like uh, I think it was like mm. summer, uh, WrestleMania Seven and stuff like that. And um, he was a different guy, obviously, than this Kato they had then. And and remember, he works. So we not, and then you get all the cells, don't you? Like they, they almost tag him in. They almost tag, you know, uh, Jimmy Amberley. And every time they do it, they, they take him back to his corner and all that. And 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 that side of it is fantastic. And it's proper selling. And I bought into it completely. But when Jim actually gets the chance to come in and start taking names, he misses like his clotheslines, his shoulder barges. He misses like the backdrops. There's all sorts going on. Owen is brilliant in this. He's absolutely sells and everything. And all his moves are brilliant. His double uh, drop kicks and everything are absolutely yeah. outstanding. But, but Jim is fucking awful. Owen carries him like Brett used to do when he was in the Heart Foundation. He's just really lumpy, ain't he? That's the thing. Like he's just, he's just, he's um, he, he like you say, there are several spots like he, he, where he just sort of runs into it, and it looks like it's supposed to be a clothesline. I think there was. There's one where it's supposed to be like a clothesline, but it comes across like a like a, a running shoulder block, and you're like, I'm not sure what, who. So like, I'm not sure whose fault that was. And then you see the next move, you go, Oh, that was Jim. That's his fault. Okay, fair enough. Um, but you're right. Like like um, Owen Hart is the is the worker out of these two brilliant and there's like you know and he's he's a, such a good worker because he takes a beating in this um but he still does like you know he does the the, the ring dive out through between the uh, the between the ropes and all this other stuff and like there's some great great stuff in this um but what you, you do sort of again you sort of you feel at the end of this match like, i've really enjoyed it because there's a couple of things i'll point out that i really really enjoyed um but you do feel like i was a bit like confused because i was like all oh, right i know them as the heart foundation but i don't remember the new foundation um, but yeah, it's clearly what this is why I don't remember it because they don't work very well as a pairing. No, um, it sort of feel it feels really uncomfortable. Um, and uh, I mean, it opens. You know, when they do the sort of the shots of you've got like um, Orient Express and New Foundation. They've got the photos of them they? just before they come to the ring to show up the matchup. And you, the, the the picture is, is Jim Neinhart with like a big grin on his face, and it's just sort of like that's just creepy. <laughs> It's just you know what I mean. I'm used to him being sort of like stern faced and sort of being the sort of like the muscle kind of thing, and yeah, it it, it didn't it doesn't work. Um, what I would say is though, the thing I love on this, I love a good heel manager. Oh yeah, I love and Mister Fuji is awesome. The amount of times that cane comes out is so good, um, and the amount there's several really. I mean, this is where sort of Nine Heart really does pay off. You know, there's the the moments where he goes mad in the corner of the ring and he's trying to get into the ring and the referee's sort of like holding him back and then but behind the ref then there's a you know Owen Hart's getting his beat in and um you know or there'll be something else where he's like he's going for the ropes and and uh, Mr Fuji sort of like knocks his hand away and all sort of stuff 
I, I love that stuff. I don't, I don't know why, but it's so pantomime and silly, but I love that stuff. I really, really enjoy it. it what were your thoughts on having Fuji then? I love Fuji. I'm with you, Scott. Uh, I think what was great is I didn't see, and I've, I've seen this before loads of times, but you know, you, you forget as you get older, don't you? You watch that many events. Is mm. the cane, he did the cane swap so quick when he when Owen goes into it with his shoulder. And obviously Owen yeah. then sells it really well. And and he, he falls down and it's like, oh, you, and then the baddies obviously, you know, they, they, don't, they, they knock the, the cane handle off, you know, it's almost back to the future Biff in the second one. Yeah. And they, they knock it off. But I, I totally agree. I, w- I would give Jim a bit of credit as well, though. When he does get the hot tag and Owen pulls him, like levers him across and he does a double flying shoulder barge from the top rope. That is brilliant. I'll, I'll give mm. I'll give Jim that, but yeah, I think Mr. Fuji. The only thing we were missing was the old famous Fuji dust in the face. You know the old um, napalm they used to call it, didn't it? Which was never yeah. napalm. It was fucking <laughs> sugar or some icing sugar. But the, he, I used to love Mr. Fuji because he was so fucking devious, wasn't he? Yeah, uh, and that's it. So I was I was expecting. That. I thought oh, maybe the finish will be that kind of thing. Like someone's gonna get some powder in the face, and then there's the the roll up and all that sort of thing. Um. But no, this this match, like from the outset, this got me into the sort of the feel. This sort of set that tone for me of like what this was gonna be, um, and so you know, despite all the lump, like I said, the lumpiness from Jim Neinhart, he still does what he needs to do. Like he he plays his part. Owen Hart is excellent in this match. Yeah. Like it, sh- I think this is why you know he was regarded as the great worker he was because he, he, I mean, he doesn't blow a spot in this. He sort of he works really well with them. Um, and like I say, he sells like a demon. Like he, he just sort of, he just keeps going. Like he's a machine. So yeah, I was really, really loving this match. No, with you, so, totally with you. I thought he's fantastic. And I think the only thing that bugged me, and I love Gorilla Monsoon, was like you were saying last week about Jr. and and how many times he's going to say, you know, he kicks like a government mule and stuff. I was actually laughing. <laughs> I was laughing about that when I was uh, I was out for a walk the other day, listening back. But he's he just kept going on and on about the rocket. The rocket, the rocket, Owen yeah. Hart, the rocket. I'm like, look, Gorilla, we get it. His nickname's the Rocket. We know he's a high flyer. You don't have to keep telling us every time he's. A, he, he said he must have said it about twenty times, and I was getting so annoyed listening to him. I was just like, oh. and then I love Bobby the Brain because he, like Jim Nineart. It's like when he says about Hogan and stuff, and, he, and Jim Nineart, and he's going, he's he's crazy. He's a lunatic. He needs to be in an asylum and stuff. You know that sort of stuff. <laughs> but what was interesting is about this, this. They didn't know what to do. I then went on watching WrestleMania 8, and Owen Hart is the first match at WrestleMania 8, but he's not fighting mm. against... He's not with the Anvil, so I don't know whether he got injured or not between... Because the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania is usually about two months, and um, maybe two, three months, it's usually March or April, a bit like Easter when it changes. But he, he mm. genuinely is not there, so uh, Owen Hart actually fights against Skinner, who's actually in this as well, the one who's got all the... the, 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 the um, oh, the crocodile! So he fights him in like a basically just rolls him up pretty quick to be honest in in there uh, in one of them. And in fact, no, he's not the opener, but he's one of the, the filler matches of WrestleMania Eight. So so uh, I, don't, okay. I never read up on that because I went down all sorts of rabbit holes, Scott, with some of the other guys. <laughs> but brilliant and great start to the show. Yeah, this is upset that this remind me of like what ninety two like this early nineties wrestling was about. Um, and then we go into. Um, well, firstly, before we even get to the match, but we get Roddy Piper versus the Mountie for the Intercontinental Championship, and you get some sort of promos. <clears throat> now, there was there was a couple of things on this. So we're used to sort of, you know, you have like 
um, people like the coach, and there's a couple of others that have sort of have done. You know, there's behind the scenes backstage promos. But with this one, there are like three of them. You had like Mean Gene, who's sort of like the, seems to be the the main guy, and then you've got some sort of um, old English dude who oh. seems really uncomfortable in front of the camera. That's Lord Alfred um, Hayes. That's Scott. You can't say that. Alfred Hayes, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I don't know. He just, he just wasn't. <laughs> he just looked really. Yeah, he does. Stiff. Yeah, he does. Uh, really not sure what, what, like you know, where the camera is at some points. Um, and then some of the sort of like young dude at one point I thought it was Vince, and it's not. It's just some other sort of like quaffered sort of uh, uh, looking dude. Um, but you do, you get. I like the fact you get the sort of the two, and this is what I mean about the two different styles of promo. Um, you get the Mountie who isn't good um on the promo like he's got jimmy you know uh, jimmy hart with him there sort of the mouth of south but the mountie just sort of is gets very shouty he goes he always gets his man at the end and that's sort of it um and it's followed by sort of like the 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 hyper uh, energy of roddy piper and his sort of craziness um and it's just a sort of like such a different feel uh, between the two of them um, on those promos. Yeah, it is. And what's funny is, uh, like, Roddy Piper's goes from the year before, he was the colour commentator, very much like what they do with mm-hmm. Macho. I mean, he, he's gone from this, and there's a lot of controversy about this match, Scott. I don't know if you'd read up on what actually happened, but you know, they, they try to sell the fact that the Mountie, two days before this match, had actually defeated Brett the Hitman at like a house show, and they show oh, it. Yeah, and the, uh, yeah, because and, and Brett Hart had, a, they said he had a fever of 104 or something. So yeah. that's why he was, that's why he was able to beat him. Yeah, and it was always so unusual if somebody dropped the strap at a house show that wasn't televised mm. because there was always either one of them was injured or there was some controversy. With like, and what it was, Brett's alluded to this, but he never admitted it. He's, he, he said, "Oh, I, yeah, I did drop the strap at a temperature," but what the real reason is. He was actually um, going to go to WCW, and they've actually there's loads of people confirmed this, but Brett's never admitted it. And basically, Vince didn't want him going on to WCW, a bit like what Flair did, because he was basically compared to mm. Flair. Flair came to WWF, and what he did was that championship belt he had. It wasn't WCW's; it was NWA's belt because NWA had been bought out by WCW. But Ric Flair was the NWA champ because he used to wrestle for NWA and WCW. So he could take the belt to WWF and that was the belt he carried around when he first came in said, I'm the real world champ. And uh, there was rumours that Brett was going to do the same with the Intercontinental one. So what Vince did was he wanted him to drop the strap because his contract was in dispute. Brett had agreed to go WCW, but then because he had this sort of uh, cooling off period where they have to give no, it's a bit like gardening leave. It meant Mm. that Brett couldn't go for for Royal Rumble and that's why he ended up carrying on then and Brett obviously stayed until the Montreal Screwjob four or five years later but that's why he dropped it so quick and why Roddy Piper won it was supposed to be Roddy Piper against Brett and that's why I think WrestleMania 8 you had Roddy Piper v Brett then uh, for the title oh okay so they saved it for Mania oh that's really interesting so I mean you know Brett Hart that's that's twice then that rumours of Brett Hart leaving result in him having to drop a uh, a belt in sort of you know iffy circumstances then yeah yeah i, I still say scott and I'm, mm. i'll stand i'll stand on this and i don't care if people think i've been a bit of a dick or anything or i'm not being a dick but i genuinely believe the whole montreal screw job was a work even brett I, I genuinely believe it i know loads of wrestlers have come out since saying that i i watched beyond the mat and everything and i, I just don't i know brett says like it was i watched him on stone cold's thing the other day 
and he was mm. saying about it. And I, I, I could be completely wrong, but everybody has said from the get-go that it was a complete work. I mean, it creates... It's that thing, is it? Controversy creates cash, and it definitely generated some interest and some... Uh, um, you know, attention on onto WWE at the time. So, it's possible. Yeah, it is it's possible. One, one thing I wanted to throw in there, though, Scott, I watched Roddy Piper fight for years because obviously he went to WCW mm. pretty much after this. When he lost the title, he was in WCW for a few years and the NWO and stuff. But his sleeper hold is the worst sleeper hold I've yes. ever seen. I was, I was going to call this out actually on on this because um, as well the other thing is I say is. Roddy Piper's is is pretty slimmed down mm. at this point. Yeah. Um because he was quite a you know if you go back to those sort of late 80s up until about 1990 like he was a he was quite a big dude like I mean he was never like chiseled but he was a big dude. But he just seems really sort of like slim. I mean you know he's, he's still incredibly you know uh, muscular and all this sort of stuff. But he just doesn't seem as big as I'm, as I'm, I remember him in this match. Um which was weird. He just seemed like a bit more of a whippet, you know, yeah. sort of like energy-wise. Um, so yeah, no, it's 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 interesting to see them. Like I say, so obviously the mount he was up seems to be of a step in, which is fine. And and Piper, um, Piper's coming in, um, in 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 clearly in a in different shape. But yeah, some of the moves in this, and I I just I just left it to be the, to, to be the era. Some of the holds are so loose. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. Um, and, and, and yeah, because it, it ends it ends with the choke, doesn't it? Like it's a it's um, the match ends. I mean, not spoilers, spoilers we're talking about, but the uh, the match ends with Piper wins with a choker hold. Yeah. Um, and there are moments when when um, the Mountie, what's the guy's real name? I forget. It's, um, I didn't know it. Rougeau. He's one of the Rougeau brothers. That's um, the Rougeau brothers, isn't it? Yeah. Not Jack. Is it Jack Rougeau? I think he is. Yeah, Raymond Rougeau's one. He used to be mm. the commentator, like the the uh, behind yeah. the scenes guy. It's Jack Rougeau. Yeah. Um, there was moments when he's holding him, and he's like his head's mo- moving, and he's almost he's almost out of the hold, and I was just like, oh, this looks, this does not look good, um, you know, when you've got it sort of this close up, uh, and I, I don't know if that's just Piper's style, like if he was just worked that loose, but it just doesn't look the, the finish of this match doesn't look great. No, and, and funny enough, Scott, I watched WrestleMania eight, and he puts that move on Brett, and it looks fucking even worse. He like. You know, obviously, I suppose it's like hindsight watching, you know, when years ago, like watching the UFC as well. But you see the Million Dollar Dream, and I used to love that move. I always loved that on WrestleFest game on the arcades. Mm-hmm. I just played that religiously. And it looked like a proper sleeper hold. This looks fucking terrible. You know, Hogan used to sell the old one, two, three, didn't he? On the third one, on a sleeper yeah, yeah. hold, he'd get up and that. He's like got him side on, hasn't he? And you can clearly see his elbow. He's so far in front of his chin, and he's like, he's, he's windpipe. There's no way you could get another hand in there before he started to feel as if he was going to choke. It's a terrible move. It, yeah. Well, this is what I thought. Was, this is what I thought was really bizarre because it's like you say he, he seems to be working really loose, but there are times when he's sort of laying on, um, you know, chops and a couple of uh, a couple of punches that are not loose. Yes. You know, you sort of there's a, and a couple of other things. You're like, wow, his his style is a little bit all over the place, and I'm not going to rip on Roddy Piper because I'm a, I do love Roddy Piper. Um, but yeah, I was just I was just shocked. Um, I mean, you know, if if someone if someone at that sort of mid uh, upper card, you know, was to do that today, I mean, I think about John Cena when he first sort of started. And what was his? He had that sort of like submission thing he did. It was a bit of a, a bit like a cross face crippler. Yeah. Um, 
and that was always really loose, wasn't it? You know, that was obviously... And he got ripped for that. Like, no one would let him go for that. Like, Marx would not let that slide. But for some reason, like, Piper gets away with it. Like, no one seems to comment on the fact that, at this point at least, it just looks a bit a bit crap. Yeah, it does, to be fair. The one thing I give Roddy credit for, and I'm, I'm with you, I've always been a fan of Piper's pit and Roddy Piper. His intensity mm. I loved um, is the fact that he actually was the first man ever to wrestle on an undercard and then wrestle in the Royal Rumble. And then it became pretty much the norm for years gone by. Mm. Some years he never got it, but quite a lot of the times you'd get them where they do double duty, wouldn't you? So they'd, they'd wrestle on the undercard and then go straight into the... Because like most of the time it was to try and have a win. Try and win. Well, most of the time it's number one slot. Actually, this Royal Rumble as well yeah. is the first... It's for the heavyweight. Yeah, it's the first yeah. one that was ever for the title. And the only other one... Was 24 years later was when Triple H came in in 2016 and beat Roman Reigns and he won the title for winning it. He came in at 30 and won it. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, he came in at 30. That sounds like a cheat because when we get to who wins this one, uh, it's a bit more of a deserved title, I think. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I enjoyed this match and it's, it's quite funny sort of, you know, see him going around the ring and you've got, the, the, again, talking about gimmicks, you know, I mean, you've got Piper comes out in his, uh, his kilt and his T-shirt, and that's all fine, that's entry gear. But to watch the Mountie actually sort of wrestle in what I sh- I'm sure are riding boots and, you know, like a red shirt. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, it's incredible. Respect. I forgot, you know, you, yeah, I'm, I'm, I am. I'm like, man, you've you've committed to this. Fair play, because I still don't understand why the gimmick... I mean, granted, like you say, he's Canadian. He's, he's the, one of the Rougeau brothers, but he's French-Canadian, so fine. But why a Mountie? Like, it, it, it doesn't make any sense. Um, and so, like you say, going back to the promo beforehand, um, you know, when Jimmy Hart sort of talking about he's going to be the real champion and all this other stuff, um, I'm, I can't take him serious because the dude's dressed in fancy dress. <laughs> He's dressed like something out of YMCA in here, to be honest. Well, even they even call that, didn't he? Yeah. Roddy Piper says that. He says he's one of the original YMCA. Yeah. And I was just, I was just like, yeah, it's hard to take a guy seriously as a, as a worker when he's dressed as a fucking Mountie. It is. It's, it, he was always a bad gimmick, though. Like I say, Scott, when he first came in, he was the the ultimate horrible bastard heel with the big boss man. Mm. And then after that, he was a gimmick, and and he had no intention of getting that strap. It was just purely. A, a movement like a maneuver because yeah. he was on the way down at that point and it was coming from nowhere. I remember it well when they were like, Brett the Hitman dropped the strap because there was no internet then, so I didn't know until I got to the Royal Rumble. I remember watching it on like the Monday night, the night after, because obviously mm. nobody would ruin it for you because nobody had the internet, nobody was up at the night really watching it. Um, very bizarre, but again, I thought it was a good match. It was, it was only yeah. it's only a five minute job that match, but it was actually pretty good. Um, yeah, no, it, it was solid. I think you're right. I think what you said about WrestleMania 14 is true. This is full of the gimmicks. However, Scott, and I'm not trying to jump ahead too much, but the next mm. match I've got so many problems with. I'm going to go going <laughs> to town on this one. Uh, I, I, yeah, okay. So the next match is uh, it's another tag team match. And it's the Beverly Brothers versus the Bash- the Bushwhackers. Um, and both are accompanied to the ring by somebody. So the, the Beverly Brothers are accompanied by the Genius, who, are, again, I'd never, I knew, I remember the Beverly Brothers, but did not remember the Genius. Uh, and then Bushwhackers are joined by Jameson. Again, another sort of, I don't even know, character, gimmick, manager, not sure what. 
um, to the ring, and it's just sort of like this. This has a sort of a, a grudge thing going on to it, doesn't it? Rather than there's no titles involved. Um, yeah, this one's a little special. <laughs> a little, uh, you, you know, like I remember being a kid, and I remember like the Bushwhackers were as popular as. You know, at one point, they were, they were as popular as these in Doom, because I've never been a fan of the Bushwhackers. However, the Bushwhacker dan- walks, and not dance, walk. Yeah. <laughs> even me dad and that, even now, remember him. And my dad always says, he's 63, he always goes on about Ric Flair. He loved Ric Flair, you know, because he always did the woo. Um, mm. And me and my mum, my mum will always tag me, like, in um, stuff on YouTube. My mum dad's pretty good with technology and that. And my mum will always... Um, Tag me. She she loved this this Ric Flair woo song on YouTube, and it's someone's put a bit of music. I'll have to send it in the background, and it just comes up with Ric Flair goes um the woo woo woo, and it goes on for a minute. Different woos he does throughout his career. And it's just a stupid song. At the end of it, he just goes woo, and with the Bushwhackers as well. And my dad was like, "Do you remember them idiots? The Bushwhackers used to do them the, the the walk." And I think we used to be at school, and my best mate. He never went out school. He used to meet us off the met the metric that the tram up uh, system in Manchester, and he'd be there doing the fucking bushwhacker dance on the tram station. And you'd be like, "What the <laughs> fuck?" <laughs> I did it at school. I'm the same. I remember. I can vividly remember like me and one of my best mates like doing that bushwhacker da- uh, bushwhacker walk between between classes at school. Yeah. So that's how we'd walk between classrooms. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I remember it being a thing. I. I, I I'd forgotten, um, you know, th- this gimmick of the bushwhackers. I remembered a large part of it, like the them eating fish yeah. and being relatively disgusting. Um, but there's parts of their entrance now that um, <laughs> you, you, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't get my head round. There's a moment and they do it. They both do it. They lick a child. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. I made notes. I told you I don't make notes. I made notes. It licks the fucking kid, the girl. She must be about two or three or something. Licks her face. <laughs> well, there's one. There's two. There's one that's on the ramp as they come in down the entrance and he licks one and sort of like she looks in it and then there's another one. There's a little lad and the dad picks him up and I think and one of the bushwhackers licks the kid's face and the kid looks really uncomfortable but the dad's like mega proud. Yeah. He's like, I'm not washing your face again. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, you, yeah. I mean, post post coronavirus, like that's never gonna happen. <laughs> post post them, it shouldn't have happened. Well, I was gonna say, fuck the coronavirus. Post Jimmy Savile, it shouldn't be happening. <laughs> it's yeah. Terrible. I mean, what what I found though, Scott. To be fair, is they are so over because Butch is the smaller one who ends up doing most of the matches because mm. Luke at the time was injured, and it was one of the reasons why they carried on the WWF for another three or four years. But he was always injured because he was older. It's like the older. And mm. he, uh, Butch takes all the all hits. He's the one who licks the baby and that. And, and like, he's the more muscular one. However, I loved it when they got in the ring. I loved that fact that they drove the Beverly brothers out and the genius. He was obviously Macho Man's brother in the Lanny Poffo. And um, yeah. he's there. Like, and you've got this stupid manager, Jameson, who looks like fucking uh, Pee Wee Herman. And he actually looks like he should be on the Jimmy <laughs> Savile list for Operation U-Tree. He looks completely weird. <laughs> Um, and and then you've got, but once they've done the like the walk and they and he go Butch goes under the like the, the top rope into the crowd. The crowd are going mental, aren't they? They're absolutely going. I remember the ring music and everything. But Scott, they must do the same thing twenty times through the fucking match. And I was absolutely like, these are the worst <laughs> workers ever. They've got a very limited move set, haven't they? I have to admit. Um... I mean, 
I looked. I was. I was looking on uh, on Wikipedia, sort of like how long each of the matches are, and um, this one's like a like about a fourteen minute match, fourteen fifteen minute match, and I was thinking a good portion of that just must be their entrance, like, yeah. you know, them fighting around in the ring. Uh, it's good fun, but the amount of times they'll sort of they'll go to do like you know they're ready to go, they're going to go for lock up, and then all of a sudden they'll be like, and they'll go out and sort of like look at the crowd, or they'll do something else. I'm like, man, like, it's fun, and I was really enjoying it, but. After a while, I was like, "Okay, I, I get what you're doing now. You sort of you, you're just buying time because this match isn't going to be particularly long." Yeah, I, I basically you feel the same as me. I basically kept thinking all the time that there were limited wrestlers, which is fine. You know, Hogan mm. wasn't the most uh, agile of wrestler. He only had about four or five moves. That was always taking the piss out of Hogan all the time, wasn't it? Uh, power mm. spot, you know, uh, kick out. Um, gets mad, hulks up, and then drops a leg drop, you know, clothesline, body slam, leg drop. That was Hulk Hogan's basic, and that's used to say about John Cena. However, the amount of times where I think I would have bought into the gimmick more if they just used the walk, because there was one bit where they both went around the ring when they cleared house, and it looked great, and they were like, going after each other dead fast, and then he's doing the move, and then going off the rope dead quick, and clotheslining uh, one of the, the um, Beverly brothers, but after, like you said, Scott, after five minutes of this, the same stuff over and over again, I was like, oh, this is fucking terrible. It really, really, really bad. And how Vince allowed this, I do not know. I, I think the thing was, like you say, they were just over. That was the thing, isn't it? They were just, I mean, we can watch this with hindsight and sort of, like, you know, in retrospect, you look back and go, yeah, they were doing the same thing. And, you know, you, you and I sort of look at this from a smart mark point of view. If you were there in night, if you were sort of like you know eight, nine, ten years old uh, in ninety two, and you're there watching this, like there's just something about them that's so childlike and just so over that, like you know, they probably just could have done, they could have probably spent fifteen minutes just messing around and playing around with the crowds and doing stuff, and then you know finished it with the finisher and left, and people would have still loved it for some reason. They were just over. Yeah, you're right. I mean, and what's a shame as well, to be fair is the genius Lanny Poffo, who's Macho Man's real brother. He's a great wrestler, but he never... He used to mm. wrestle as the genius, but then he was just used as, like, a... a he was just a manager, wasn't he, after that? It was a shame with him, really. But that Jameson they've got, oh, my God, he, he's terrible. Why Why Vince went with something so ridiculous as a gimmick, I do not know. Yeah, I, I didn't know if he was... I couldn't... I didn't I didn't remember him. Like, it, it was complete mind-blank on that character. Um... And I was trying to think to myself, like, is this sort of like, you know, like nowadays they they'll do something, they'll, they'll introduce a character for a, you know for an angle where they'll bring somebody in and be like, oh, it's so and so's brother, or you know, oh, it's his best friend, and so he gets into a tussle with one of the other guys, and so the angle is that he's got to protect his friend. I was like, is this the the angle? Is this a gimmick where he's sort of like the bushwhacker's friend, and the genius has picked on him, so this whole match is centered around this one bullying event like i couldn't i couldn't understand it um what i did enjoy about it though was bobby the brain heenan talking about him because he was they, in fact even gorilla monsoon gives him a bit of a a bit of a mouthful at times um yeah which i thought was you know it's the first time like bobby the brain sucks i mean they start like taking the mick out of his clothes and his shoes like uh, and a few times like you say i think they do sort of allude to the fact that like yeah he shouldn't be allowed around children and you're just like I'm not. I'm not sure you can make jokes like that. Even even in 1992, that seems a bit odd to be making jokes like that. But yeah, um, he 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 was a precursor. The reason they brought him in, I don't know where they dragged him from. I really don't, Scott. But was because 
the Bushwhackers have been defeated by the Beverly Brothers. They had a programme for a few months leading up to this from like Survivor Series where it, they were opposite sides of a four, you know, four-man tag. And um, mm. the genius was like the, basically the equaliser. So he basically made the Beverly Brothers win. And then obviously after that, when they had house shows and that, there was a feud between them. And, and every time the genius always ended up with the Bushwhackers losing. So they brought this Jameson and he's not exactly... A man for man, um, you know, no. evens the score up, does he? But yeah, I, I had, I honestly thought this was the worst match on the whole show, but just because of the bushwhackers, because it just pissed me off watching him just keep doing the walk. It was great the first five times. After that, I was like, oh, this is terrible. It does go on too long. I'll, I'll admit that. Like, um, and uh, it's interesting because I think I mean, yeah, the, I was actually say I was. I enjoyed the, the the sort of like the show of it. Yeah, like I was in, I was impressed with how over they are with the crowd and some of the stuff. It, was, it made me smile. But like you said, by the end of the match, I was a bit like, right, come on, move on. Who else do I, you know? Let's let's get on to the next bit. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I'll tell you what the Bushwhackers seem to remind me of a little bit. Like I could imagine them being sort of like the Dudleys, weirdly, and it's not just the cargo pants, but they're sort of like just. An, I could imagine the sort of like. I could imagine the Bushwhackers going in and doing like hardcore matches if they came if they were about today, that's the kind of thing they would be doing. Well, um, it's true that Scott. I'm sorry to cut across you, but actually, Butch hey. Butch was renowned before he was the Bushwhacker because he ended up being like the sheep herders for years, and then every time one of them went back to New Zealand where they were from, like Butch would always stay in America. Like Butch still lives in America. He still trains with Hulk Hogan now. He's a very good friend of Butch mm. of Hulk Hogan's, like Brian Nobbs and. Um, the Brutes, the Barber, Beefcake, you know, uh, Fingy Leslie. Um, but genuinely, he was a hardcore fighter in, in a couple of like the local territories, a bit like a Terry Funk. So he, mm. he used to say that when they went to the WWF, their gimmick became comedy with the walk and that, but they weren't. They were actually proper hardcore wrestlers because they looked like that. They looked, they, they, the whole walk was something that Vince sort of got them to do and just sort of play it all up, which it were. You're totally right that the... the they are so over, it's unbelievable. They're, they're as over as much as Legion of Doom. Um, even as a kid, I remember him just being like a gimmick. I was never a massive fan, but I remember him being really over just because of the war. But yeah, it's so interesting you say that because that's pretty much how they were, to be honest. All right. I, could, I don't know, there's just something about them. They have an aura that you do. You, you, I had a feeling that they were legit. Like There was something about them. Like, oh, it's all fun and games, but like you say, they've clearly worked their way there. And I just had that feeling that they actually... Um, had done so. so that's interesting to know actually that they are legit sort of hardcore wrestlers and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so you, you get you get through one tag. Well, that's actually not the, even the first. You get through another tag match, um, and you go straight into a third tag match. Um, and I, I, again, like from this card, although it's fun, I, I say I really enjoy this whole pay per view. It it just feels like it's obviously really uh, tag team heavy, and and also big guy heavy so this is sort of like you know a lot of big workers on this um that seems to be sort of like vince's thing at this point isn't it yeah it is and, and to be honest i i really bought into the typhoon heel turn so he was tugboat he was hulk hogan's best mate mm. it's always like hulk hogan's fucking belt carrier and they, they alluded to that and then i never forget when he turned with earthquake and it was in a tag match and stuff and, and, and he turned on Hogan and he was like, he's one of his best mates. He was like Brent Brutus the Barber does it to him in the NWO and stuff. And he was like, oh my God, you know, can't believe he's done it. And and 
I bought into Earthquake and Typhoon so much, Scott. Not because they were great workers, because they weren't. I mean, Typhoon's pretty shit. Earthquake's a great worker. But, uh, I was going to say, I was actually really impressed with Earthquake in this, in this one. And you know what, Scott? He's only about 28, 29 when he was doing this, you know, this gimmick. He was not... Uh-huh. An old guy. He always looked like he was in his forties or something, but he was still, <laughs> he was still like late twenties. John Tenter, I think his name was, wasn't it? His his proper name, mm. um, and he's not with us now, sadly. And I think Typhoon's real name is Fred. Oh, his second Fred something he's called. But genuinely, uh, I I was like, you bastard! You've turned on Hulk and everything <laughs> and all this. So I was quite interested in this match. But it's a great match, and we get the spots. Obviously, the Legion of Doom are in such peak condition. I mean, Hawk yeah. looks fucking in top condition. An animal just looks fucking massive, doesn't he? Yeah. And also, this is... The, the one thing i say about this match is, well, first, let's say, firstly, sort of, the Natural Disasters are a great tag team. I actually really... You know, but in fact, both of these are great tag teams. But the other thing about this is, I will say is, for Natural Disasters, just being two big guys with sort of like, you know, relatively badly kept beards and sort of uh, receding hairlines... I could imagine these guys on World of Sport. Yeah, you know, these would have been. They they look like British wrestlers, like the you know, joint haystacks or sort of Big Daddy that sort of thing. Um, but I was really surprised with how sort of uh, how well they moved, and um, you know their move set is is actually pretty good. They're pretty solid for for uh, a couple of really big guys. Um, throughout the match. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Legion of Doom are always good for, for anything, aren't they? they? You know, like you said, yeah. I totally agree. We, we talked about what difference six years make. We got Legion of Doom, LOD yeah. 2000 were terrible in WrestleMania 14, really. The, the whole gimmick was awful. Um, but then you've got this, which is fucking great. You know, like, this is Legion of Doom, the full American football gear with the mm. spikes. You know, Hawk is absolutely just a beast. Animal's a beast. Don't know if you guys said they couldn't do. They were never going to be able to do the finisher on them. And I don't know whether that's why they sold the count-out. I mean, the count-out's a bit of a cop-out, really, to, to end such... Because it was, it was, I remember at the time, Scott, it being such a massive match, this being the LOD are going to come up against the natural disasters and that's the end of it. And obviously they've got Jimmy Hart there who's great. He's always worth his money with his mic megaphone and that. And it just, it, I never, I remember as a kid, I was like, what was a 13 when this was out? I remember then thinking, that's a bit of a shit ending. But the match itself is good. It is. No, I agree. And I was actually going to ask because it feels to me like a, a transitional match. Like, because the, the point, this is actually for the tag team championships and, um, uh, the natural disasters win by count out, so Legion of Dooms are out and counted out. But because you can only transfer the titles on a uh, pin or submission, so Legion of Doom remain champions. And it does feel like a cop out. You're a bit like, oh. But I was wondering, like, is there a follow up match after this? Like, do does this go anywhere? Because it feels like if this was today, this would be the sort of like you know you'd have this match and then it would end like this, and then you'd you'd escalate it to. You know, some sort of gimmick match, like yeah, a, like a, a tag team Hell in a Cell or something like that. Well, well, to be honest, I I don't remember them fighting again. And what's interesting is I put WrestleMania eight on, which obviously mm. was there was only four pay per views then when we were at that time. You had like all four, didn't you? So you had Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, and Survivor Series. We had nothing in between. King of the Ring was the first new pay-per-view they ever did and that was around about 95 when Austin beat Jake Snake and stuff on, oh earlier than that so was it 93, 94 because yeah. you had uh, the King didn't you Jerry Lawler won it and then Owen Hart won it and stuff sorry so before Austin however um, well, what's your WrestleMania 8 
the, the natural disasters oh. fight on it, but they're actually faces. So in what? the space of two months, they're, they're, they're goodies. They've not got Jimmy Hart with them. And Legion of Doom, yeah, honestly, Legion of Doom come out with Paul Ellering, literally with after the first match. And they just do an interview segment with Mean Gene. They've got the belts on, and, and like, this is the missing link between a. You know, us and and Black, and he just be all oh, a rush and wow. all that, but they don't actually fight on WrestleMania eight. Well, their faces, uh, the, the natural disaster. So it was, I'd forgot Scott because I always remember the main event and then watched the whole thing because the, the opening mm. match actually was Shawn Michaels with Tito Santana when he had sensational Sherry. He just kicked Martin Jannetty, and that's another thing with this Royal Rumble. Yes. So he kicked Martin Jannetty just before this Royal Rumble to become a baddie, didn't he? Because he obviously interviewed him, but. You're right. The, the the way they turned him from fate heel to face, I, I'd have to look up on that with the natural disasters. But it was a hell of a turn because the crowd were going mad for him. They, I tell you, who they fought against actually. Legion of Doom must have lost the straps. I'm wrong because IRS Money Inc had the belts. Oh, IRS okay. the Million Dollar Man. So they must have dropped the strap at some point on a house show or a Saturday Night Main Event. Um, and that's who the natural disasters were fighting, but they didn't win that. They they just basically fucked off the million dollar man in the IRS. They just got the belts and walked out the ring and got counted out. That's weird because I mean this is it, it, it's a good match, like you say, because it's the I, I do like some of these you know when it's like big man versus big man and they do the sort of like the power up. So you have um, they sort of take it in turns and they sort of like typhoon will get in and then. Uh, you know, then one of them, Hawker Animal, sort of trying to give him the shot, running shoulder block, and he doesn't move, so he tries it again and doesn't move. Um, and then they sort of they swap over and they do this other stuff, and they run through all the the usual big big man versus big man stuff. But they're just good at it. You know what I mean? It's like they're they're, they're actually really all four of the guys in this are working pretty well. Um, and there are times when I was surprised at how swift like Typhoon and Earthquake move. Um, and then I say they, you know, they, they they go for the finish, and I was hoping, like say, expecting some big finish, um, whether it be one of those like moments of, uh, you know, a sl- like slamming um, typhoon or, or earthquake or doing something like a big show of strength. I was expecting just something, and then when it doesn't happen, at first I thought, oh, this has got to be a cock up, like it must be a mistake. Like they've actually cocked this up. The refs had had counted them out, or something's happened. They've been counted out. And then when they carry it on, I was like, oh, no, this might actually be a part of the card. It, I don't know. It, it felt, yeah, it's just, it's a bizarre finish to, to a, a sub-main event um, match of, 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 on this sort of card. Yeah, and I think maybe it might have been the purely the size. Obviously, like you say, Legion of Doom were just renowned for using their pure size on everybody else. They just basically outstrengthed everyone. Mm. They, were, they had like a... Like you said last week, it was a great description of them, but... Uh, they basically were just like street fighters. They they were really bad to work with, I believe, because they were a bit like when people talk about like um, Vader. Vader was terrible oh, to work tight. with because he was so real. Yeah. yeah, really tight. Like Chris Jericho was supposed to be renowned for stiff punches and stuff like, but but actually Bret Hart talked about it with Stone Cold and he said, he said like, um, if you were in with Vader, I got the chance to work with Vader and I turned it down. He said, because you knew, he was called Leon, wasn't mm-hmm. he? He said, he, I knew he'd Leon you were going to get injured. And that's what you say with LOD. And, and even to a, a some extent, the Steiners, they were pretty much like Legion of Doom, weren't they? It was like a, but I love that because it was like a, a realistic street. It made it a bit more realistic than just selling. Because even Bret Hart says that. He goes, a fucking honky-tonk man, a punch. He said it was like getting tickled. Yeah. It was just like, but, it wasn't like a real punch. But the problem is, I mean, you know, and as we've talked about with sort of Roddy Piper's chokehold in this, like if it's, you know, sometimes you've got to be a little bit stiff to make it look good on camera. 
you know, if you're doing it in front of 20, 30, 40,000 people, like, you can probably get away with it because, you know, the nearest person's going to be, I don't know, a good 10 to 15 feet away. And then beyond that, they're up in the rafters, so you can get away with it. But when it's being filmed, you know, it's sort of... And, and this may be something about trans... Maybe this is this era, like, they're not used to this level of scrutiny on camera and stuff. But it, it's, it starts to become a bit glaringly obvious, doesn't it, at times? Yeah, it does. It does, to be honest. And, and, and again, Scott, though, I mean, what a great event that we're watching you know you're totally right i mean you like say you've worked in events you know but are far more than me i'm just purely a fan you know but to see to see the way that they sell the characters and believe in the characters mm. around this time the one thing and, and what you said was right before is what you'd get years ago even even to sort of maybe the mid 2000s you'd get them where they'd have the, the gimmick wouldn't they where they'd be like um, some guy would be on a farm somewhere or, or be in some sort of fucking abandoned warehouse with a load of like uh, f- black ice and stuff and all that and uh, black ice for, you know the white ice stuff and, and they have it all there mm. oh, this guy wants to come and avenge and I'm after you John Cena or I'm after you Hulk Hogan or whatever like Nails for Big Boss Man I never forget Nails uh, and, and he's like, he was he was someone who Big Boss Man mistreated in prison and he was coming after him and he was un- unstoppable and yes. all that shit. And you believed yeah. in it all. You totally believed in that gimmick. Obviously, they can't do that now. They either come from next or they just appear from nowhere and they say, oh, I've just brought somebody in. There's no backstory like there used to be because no one fucking believes it. But years ago, you believed it. Like Kane, we saw about last week with Kane being his brother. I fucking believed all that. He set the house on fire. He's burnt him. He's disfigured him. It's just <laughs> it's stupid stuff like that. And you... you you know it's not real, but you bu- you buy into the pantomime, and I love this gimmick because this is when I was at my height of wrestling. The whole of the nineties was me. Uh, no, I, I I totally agree, and I missed. Uh, if I'm honest, I'm I kind of miss kayfabe. Yeah. Um, in wrestling, like it's gone. I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things that sort of like once the uh, the genie's out of the bottle, like it's gone. You know, sort of thing. Um, but you, like you say, the, the, this the thing is this. This era benefited from being able to be on TV, so you could get the big pay-per-view events like this. I mean, you know, you you're getting some um, budget on this, like you know, the actual sort of production value is looking pretty good. Um, but also, like you say, you don't have the internet, and you've got like you know, you have to really be a mark to get to that level of politics. Like there were still there were still behind the scenes um, fanzines and all this other stuff going on, but like nowhere near to the to the to the, to the scale it is today. So you could, you could easily buy into this stuff and you could totally buy into the fact that sort of, um, you know, the Mountie was a Mountie or whatever, um, or the fact that like, I mean, to get into the rumble later on, like, you know, to believe that Sergeant Slaughter was actually a representative of the American military or the, the Iron Sheik was actually now going to be a general in the Iranian army. Like, you know, <laughs> there's, there is some ludicrous gimmicks going on this, but I'm loving the gimmicks in this. I think they are absolutely stupid, but... Like, I'm happy to buy into it because it's that pantomime. It's that yeah. show. Yeah, I'm with you on it completely because there was a couple of... Um, you don't mind me talking about the Royal Rumble now, Scott, you know, because I know... It, no, yeah, no, go, yeah, it, it, it. There was a couple of people stepped in. So Marty Jannetty was supposed to be in the Rumble, but once Shawn Michaels double-crossed him and they became separate entities and he didn't have sensational sherry at this point, he was just Shawn Michaels, you know, and he, he comes in... Mm. So Marty Jannetty was selling the fact that he was injured from getting thrown through the barbershop glass and all that stuff. So then he got Nikolai Volkov in. Now, he was fine. That's fine. He was And there was someone else, Haku, came in 
for uh, someone yeah. else, didn't he? He filled in because someone was injured, I think, or something happened, and, and he jumped in at the last minute, but he hadn't been seen on TV for a while. But, I mean, Scott, what a fucking... I, I think this is probably one of my favourite uh, Royal Rumbles, watching it again. Oh, it's fantastic. Like, from start to finish, like, this is... Um, I, I was well into this. Uh, but yeah, yeah, you start with, um, you know, home, uh, homeboy... Uh, Davy Boy yep. Smith, um, British Bulldog. One thing I will say, actually, before we actually really get to the wrestling, they do a segment where they give like interviews. There's an interview segment of all the, of, like, a selection of the wrestlers talking about what they want to do in the Rumble. Sort of like, you know, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to take out 29 other guys and blah, 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 blah. Uh, and some of them are great and some of them not so great. Davy Boy Smith, uh, British Bulldog, when he keeps talking about his hometown of London, and I'm like, no! <laughs> No, no, no. It's like because he's he's from your end. Of, he's from your neck yeah, of the woods. He's isn't actually he? from Wigan. Um, That's what he's from. Yeah, he's only about he? fifteen yeah. miles away from me. Yeah. Yeah, and so like the fact that he's trying to hide his northern accent throughout it all, he's, 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 <laughs> throughout this segment, is actually quite hilarious. It's quite funny. Yeah. Because um, it keeps slipping, uh, you know, and he's I'm gonna I'm gonna knock you over the ropes, and I'm just like ah, that's it. That's <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know he's like Scott. You're right. It's a great uh, description. He's like when you get. I always say it. The English fucking rappers. I think English rappers sound shit. Yeah. An American rapper sounds brilliant, but an English rapper always sounds shit. I don't get what anybody. I know Stormzy's good and all that, but he just. Does, I know he's grind, but he, he does nothing for me. English rap. I fucking think it sounds shit. And that he's like, I'm going to take you. Out. I'm going to knock twenty nine. I knock nineteen others out on the battle royale, and I took, yeah. I'm going to take twenty nine out. Now and I'm like, David, shut the fuck up. Just just get in the ring. You look like yeah. a monster and try and throw people out. It's terrible, the promo, isn't it? It is, it is. But he is great. He's a great worker. Um, and so, yeah, so you, you get him and... DiBiase. Um, and he comes on with sensational sharing, doesn't he? And I always like... Um, Ted DiBiase is a great worker uh, and I always enjoy watching him. And then you get... So you get those two sort of like you know, starting off and then you get number three. Yes. And number three is uh, is Ric Flair, Nature Boy Ric Flair, um, and, and I mean this guy is to me. I mean it's not just his hair, but this guy's looked old pretty much the entire time I've watched him wrestle. Um, but the du- the dude is just such a great I love worker. Him. Like, I, I love know, him, Scott. I can watch, yeah, I can watch Ric Flair work like twenty four seven. I think the guy is incredible. Um, yeah, he is. He is incredible. And I think one thing that pissed me off at the start, which I didn't realise, was how quick DiBiase gets eliminated. Now, Ted DiBiase, obviously by the by WrestleMania 8, him and IRS um, are actually the, ch- the champions by this time. But genuinely, mm. was he gets he gets kicked out of it after a minute. And you're like, what the... You know, like what, what, what a waste of, of him, whether he was injured or something, and that's why they've had to kick him. But he gets... But yeah... As soon as Ric Flair comes in, fantastic. And as I was saying about Haku, it was Jerry Sags comes in at number four, doesn't he, out of the Nasty Boys. Mm. And Brian Nobbs should have been fighting as well. But just before it, him and IRS, who's obviously, his think his dad, Mike Rotunda, is actually um, the Fiend's dad, isn't he? Um, and mm. what's he called? Um, oh, God, not, you know, um, Bray Wyatt. It's Bray Wyatt's dad. Um, and, right, and, yeah. Um, they were coming out of um, somewhere. I think it was a, a club or something. And he got stabbed in the chest. 
Brian Nobbs. So we had to get Haku in. So he, he, they rested the guys, yeah. but they set about him three or four lads. So this all happened just before the Rumble. So they had to sort of change it last minute because Haku had not wrestled for about 18 months on the WWF program, um, which was quite interesting. But yeah, Ric Flair, he's fucking brilliant. He sells everything when he comes in against Davy Boy. Yeah, and that's it. Like I said, you, 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 they, they, you know, they've. Um, one of the great things about this rumble is it's the timing of it. Like they seem to, they, you know, whoever's working the ring. There's a couple of really bad moments, and I'll call those out. But overall, like they all seem to be working really well, and they all seem to know what's going on and and who's going on around them. Um, and to give people a moment, like you know, there's there's several moments where they're like, right, we're going to work in the corner over here, and Ric Flair's getting himself a couple of seconds to catch his breath and take you know to do the next bit or he'll take a sort of a uh, a front forward you know bump and take a few moments like it they just keep working around him um and it's fine and the one thing i would say is though by about 20 minutes in um and we'll go back and forth on this but by about 20 minutes in with the commentary and the way that and obviously i already knew that who won this um in just with hindsight but it becomes it slightly becomes glaringly obvious because you've got like Bobby, uh, Bobby Brain, sort of saying, you know, oh, where's Rick? Where's Rick? There he is. Okay, you watch him. You watch him because he's the man. He's gonna do this. And Gorilla Monsoon's not really arguing with him. And as you watch the, sh- as you watch the match, like you can see them working around Rick quite a bit. You know, give him a moment. Give him this. Give him that. Right, pull him into the corner. Do this. And it's a bit like after about 20, 30 minutes, I was a bit like, ah, okay, like I can see what they're doing. Like you can just, you can see it playing out. Um. But that's no bad thing because I don't think it's obvious. I did, but I could see it being done. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? No, no, I think you're right. And, and I think what's quite obvious is they do a good job for the first, say, 20 odd minutes of hiding Flair in the background because mm. the British Bulldog is pretty much centre stage and he's actually, he eliminates three mm. people, but for 20, he's in there for 25, uh, 23 and a half minutes. But he actually is really probably one of the strongest competitors in there consistently. Rick sort of. Uh, wheel sort of weasels his way out of it as such, but uh, Davy Boy takes control quite a few times. But I do agree. I, I, obviously, hindsight's a wonderful thing. But if you look at the actual uh, the the ones they had in there, the only ones say from one to twenty, because the stipulation was I don't know I can't remember this properly, but I always remember as a kid, Scott, that Jack Tunney was the president of the WWF, the on-screen president. And when he made an announcement, everyone was like, oh, my God, this is going to be horrendous. President Jack Tunney's got an urgent message for the WWF fans. And he'd be like, oh, my God, I've got to tune in now. You know, and he'd be there and he'd he'd wheel out this old bloke. Obviously, you know, nobody realised it was Vince at this time that actually run the WWF. But we all used to, I used to buy into (laughs) Jack Tunney. Um, And... He'd actually stripped Hogan and the Undertaker of the titles, and because something had happened on some house show, so he stripped them both of the title. I don't know what bullshit he was. Probably just to get Ric Flair to get the belt. And what he did was he decided that, as part of the stipulation, was to give him an advantage because they'd lost the titles. One of them was coming in at twenty, and one was coming in at thirty. Uh, uh, suddenly mm-hmm. you're coming in between twenty and thirty. So Undertaker coming at twenty, Hogan coming at twenty-six, and. What was blatantly obvious is up to the 20th man, which was The Undertaker, all the others were just mid-card. There was nobody. I mean, Kerry Von Erich, Texas Stone Eric coming at nine, and then you got the big boss man and stuff. But there was nobody until The Undertaker come in who who you would... You'd look at him and go, 
they're not winning it. The Barbarian, you know, Repo Man, they're not getting yeah. anywhere, are they? I was just, I was gonna say that's what I was gonna say. The Barbarian and Repo Man, I, I hate the Repo Man. I bloody hated that gimmick. But um, there's others like you get Greg the Val- uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine's coming in. You got like you said, then you get um, you've got sort of uh, Nikolai Volkov, and you've got these older workers, and you're like, well, they're clearly not going to win this. So, you know, move that aside. Um, but it's good. I mean, I'm enjoying it, and I think you know, I totally agree with what you're saying about Davy Boy as well at the beginning. Like that dude's a worker. Like he is working that ring um, incredibly well. And one of the things I think that's more in- that's really impressive that comes a little bit later, actually, is that when Shawn Michaels comes in, there's almost like a handoff. You know, sort of David Boy's doing all the work and then Shawn Michaels will do some work. And you can see that these really, really talented sort of like young workers, as you said, taking a lead and almost acting like as a ring general in there and just sort of making sure stuff's going on and sort of working around stuff. Um, you know, there's some really, really quality workers going on in there as well, as well as people that are just clearly sort of been just thrown in to... Uh, <laughs> fill a gap you know i love it i love the fact we're talking about it it's so we're so passionate aren't we as fans you know i'm I'm so pleased you've got me on again you're so right because like i i loved the texas tornado like i've got in my collection of wrestling dvds i've not got a lot like i used to have a load of videos i haven't got i've got survivor series 90 and 91 double dvd um Mm. i've had that for years i've had i must have had that scott for when DVDs come out, I've still got it. I, I've never got it because it's the <laughs> debut of The Undertaker in Survivor Series 91 and against like Bret Hart, Coco Beware, Jim Ninehart and stuff. I never forget it. I, I've still got that. Um, and then I've got like Macho Man and stuff like that. But when you when you go back and you look at, like I've got Best of Macho Man, I've never even opened it, Scott. It's a special limited edition. It's still got a cellophane on it. And, and, and not because it's worth anything. It's just one of them things. Like I've never, uh-huh. I got it for like four quid off uh, Zavi or something and never, never. <laughs> but I've got loads. I've got like the Monday Night Raw Wars and stuff. And, and, yeah, no, I've got that one. Yeah, yeah. that's what I've got that one. And, Monday and, Night and Wars. You've got like just mad ones. But you look back at them and a Texas Tornado, I loved that. I used to think he was, he was almost at the level of the Ultimate Warrior. And I remember him having the Intercontinental title when he beat Mr. Perfect and mm. then Perfect beat with a perfect plex. But there was nobody. You're so right. I mean, fuck it. I mean, Roddy Piper comes in at 15, like I say, and, it, and Piper's in it. But he's actually um, in the match for 34 minutes. You know, he, he only ends mm. up near the end that like he gets kicked out. He, he has a great run considering he's already wrestled earlier in the night. Oh, yeah. And there's a couple, like I said, they... they... Although it's clear after a while that Flair, what they're doing to support Flair and stuff, like, um, there is a couple of people that have some really good runs. Like I say, David Boy at the start, Shawn Michaels comes in later on and does some really quality stuff. Um, uh, Roddy Piper, uh, I, I actually really like him watching Big Boss oh, Man when he runs in and sort of does, and sort of clears house and does some bits. Um, yeah, there's a couple of people. Like the tornado, they like say, we sort of with his spinning punch and all this other stuff. Like, there's some really good moments in this rumble where it's, oh my god, that's a, that's an incredible thing. Um, and you know, you get the usual thing of sort of people going over the rope and coming back under. The one thing that I'd forgotten about, and I think they sort of they try and avoid a little bit now these days, though, to sort of avoid confusion, is the amount of people that leave under the bottom rope and then just fight around the ring for a bit and then sort of like then go back in and carry on. Um, is is actually really, it's really entertaining, and I was I was shocked. I had to check this. 
uh, Macho Man eliminates himself and then fights yeah, some more. Does. Because if you read the commentary, <laughs> I remember he jumps over the top for Jake the Snake, doesn't he? And, and what's yeah. funny is Gorilla Monsoon's like, uh, Bobby the Brain, obviously they realised he'd fucked up on the commentary because the commentary leads the show, doesn't it, really? And Bobby the Brain goes, yeah. look at that idiot. He's eliminated Jake and he's eliminated himself. And then, then Gorilla Monsoon goes, no, actually, Brain, you've got to be eliminated by a, an opponent first. But that's Somebody bullshit else. because yeah. you know full well. Yeah. Years later, Kane and people like that have done that where they've just eliminated themselves because they're going after somebody. So I, I, it was one of them when I'm thinking, they fucked up on the comedy. Vince was going mental in the in the back there going, what the fuck are you saying? You know? <laughs> Yeah. Well, Morley, what the what the hell's Savage doing? Like, it's clearly like, yeah, it's it's so funny to see him do it. Um, but like you say, I, I I'm I'm enjoying watching some of the sort of like the filler guys. I mean, there's guys that come into so I've not even you know wouldn't even remember. But I like sort of like IRS um, coming yeah. in. I sort of like you know. Uh, even the, the barbarian even it's even quite fun to watch the barbarian to be honest. Um, the, the one thing I noticed, which I really sort of I find funny, is there's almost like a, a, a bit of inside baseball. Sort of when when I've done shows in the past, and this goes like way back when I used to do the shows. If we did a rumble, you know, like to, to sort of um, add something for your own entertainment in the you know behind the sort of scenes, you'd put something in like you know all right every time someone comes into the ring, you've got to do something. Um, and I've been on rumbles where like you know. Uh, everybody that enters the ring's got to shout, "Oh yeah!" as you slide into the ring, or something like that, or do a yeah. woo, or do something, you know. Um, it, just because it's sort of it's funny. I mean, I've I've done rumbles where we were supposed to have a thirty a thirty man rumble was put on the poster for the show, and we didn't have enough workers, so you'd literally go out in your sort of your gear, get eliminated, come back, put a mask on, and go straight back <laughs> out again. Still in your same, still in your same gear, but now in a yeah. mask and sort of like you know do it all again. So all that kind of stuff. But in this one, it's almost like there's a running gag of every time someone runs in, you've got to run to the nearest person and give them a double yeah. axe handle. Like it's just, it, <laughs> it's almost like the standard slide in the ring, double axe handle. Right now I can get on and do some of the wrestling. It's a. Uh... You know what, Scott? That's a brilliant spot. I tell, you, I tell you what you don't see now, and I love watching the old stuff. Is the old classic, the fucking atomic drop. You never see yes. them now at all, but they were like the they were the staple of every single Hogan. They were a staple of everyone an Atomic Drop. It's such. A, I used to love that move. I used to be. I was. It's one of those you said before. You'd buy into it as a move. It's ru- it's yeah. rubbish. Like it doesn't do anything. Um, but they'd sell it like a demon, and you'd be like, "Oh man, that's incredible." He's giving them. Yeah, he's giving. It, it, <laughs> it's it's amazing. amazing. Yes, I, I tell you what, bullshit though, Scott. I'll be honest with you. Is, and this isn't about the event. Is WrestleMania Seven, like I said, like last week, is my you know first ever real foray uh, into the WWF and, and Royal Rumble '91. And WrestleMania Seven, mm. I never never tweaked at all as a kid. But they used to say, don't they? Retirements in wrestling mean fuck all. Like Shawn Michaels was retired for mm. nearly eight years, and then he decided to come out and do that match with in Dubai with uh, Hunter last year and stuff, or like eighteen months ago from nowhere and he'd always said he would never retire because he respected The Undertaker too much and all this stuff and Austin I mean Austin's the only one I know who's retired He's yeah he's come back and he does a stunner here and there like he did the other week but he's never actually done a match and he's yeah. never come back and done a programme with anyone but Randy Savage retired at WrestleMania 7 when he got married you know he gets levered by like, the Warrior Warrior um, beats him 
he gets rid of Sherry. He ends up getting married to fucking Elizabeth at SummerSlam 91. And it was a retirement match with the Ultimate Warrior. But then in, in mm. six months later, he's in the Royal Rumble. And spoiler, WrestleMania yeah. 8, he wins the heavyweight title off Ric Flair at WrestleMania 8. It's fucking bullshit. It's just like, they mean nothing other than just to move a storyline along. I think, like you say, there are, there are two constants in, you know, in in sort of like nerd genre, in nerd genre. Like you say, retirement doesn't mean anything in wrestling, and death doesn't mean anything in comics. It's like you know, they're just sort of. It's one of those things they'll sometimes do, isn't it, to sort of like boost ratings or to end a program with somebody. All oh, right, we're going to end with this with a retirement match or a loser leaves town match or something. But they'll be back next week. Um, yeah, I'm not, sorry, I, exactly I went off on mean. a segue then, uh, Scott. But yeah, he's just yeah, no, no, you're right. You are totally right. It's just because again, because like, they're setting up. Because even with this, like, not only is he supposed to retire, but they're actually setting up a whole thing with Jake the Snake Roberts, yeah. aren't they? So, um, you know, uh, I, I, I tell you what, the other thing is, uh, I, I kind of like about this. And it's sort of, it's sort of come back a little bit. Is that like there are guys that are coming in on this? And we've talked about sort of typhoon and earthquake. Um, and you know you've got other guys in this. I'm like, you know, there are workers in this that are good workers, but they're not, you know, like super massive, chiselled, sort of like looking, you know, bodybuilders or sort of like just ripped. I mean, one of the best ones is Jake the Snake Roberts. Yeah, oh, brilliant. And I think Jake Roberts is an amazing worker, a great technician, and in that sort of thing. But he just, he just, he looks like the kind of dude that I'd avoid outside of sort of like you know Tesco's Express. <laughs> he just, you know. He, <laughs> <laughs> I like that, Scott. Do you, do you know what I mean, though? Like, if he had, a, if he had a kind of sort of tenant super in his hand, I'd be like, yeah, all right, I'd, ac- I'd accept that. But I'm moving on. Um, but like you say, you don't have to be that. Like, it's there's none of this thing. You know, for a while there was everyone had to be ripped because I think that was sort of like Vince thing, wasn't it? Sort of like you said, like the big man it had to be like the the body was was really what that that thing that sold them. I mean, I think that's why people like uh, Lex Luger and stuff got the push they did later on, um, or even Sid Justice in this. Like, there's a reason that Sid Justice is is coming in, you know, and getting such a push because he's such a big chisel bloke. Um, but like you say, he doesn't. I, I prefer it when they they have different body shapes and different styles and all this other stuff. It's it's just so much more interesting. Yeah, it is to be fair, and and, and like we were saying last week about you know Chainsaw Charlie. I love the fact that Colonel Mustafa's in it again. He's, he's just sort of split from yeah. Sergeant Slaughter and stuff. And he's, he's just the Iron Sheet, but they've called him Colonel Mustafa. Yeah. He's, he used to be Colonel yeah. Mustafa, General Adnan and Sergeant Slaughter. And it's like, but it's just the Iron Sheet. The guy who Hulk Hogan beat in 1984 yeah. to win his title. He's the same guy. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I love the fact that in this, like I say, they, they actually refer to him as, as being given a promotion in the Iranian <laughs> army. <laughs> Seriously, on the commentary, they, they refer do. to the fact he's got a promotion, and he, he, I'm just like, that's really yeah. bizarre. Like, you know, aren't you in the middle of Gulf War One? Like, isn't yeah. it? That seems a really bizarre thing to be commenting oh, it's on. Sensational, um, isn't it? It's abs- I tell you what, though, Scott, he takes a hell of a bump, Sergeant Slaughter, when Sid Justice throws him out the ring. I don't know if he saw that. Jesus oh, did, Christ, yes. he takes a hell of a bump to get out the ring. Yeah, I thought he hit his head off the turnbuckle like yeah. really badly, and I'm not sure if that I'm not sure whose fault that was. If that was sort of uh, slaughter taking a bad bump, or if that was justice sort of to justice not giving him time to to prep. I don't know, but he was a clumsy bastard as well. Oh, I don't like justice. him at all, Scott. Like like genuinely, I, no. I remember him coming into it, 
I remember I remember him from WCW, Sid Vicious and stuff, but I remember him coming mm. into it and he was supposed to be like, you know, they, they were trying to build him up, wanting he's like the next Hogan. And and the reason they did that, which is what I talk about with Hogan, because obviously Hogan comes in at 26, was Hulk had dropped some almighty bollocks. So bear in mind, he'd been the champ since 1984, and the whole of the 80s, it was just Hulk Hogan, everything. Mm. We get to 92, so he's had an eight-year run on and off where he's been the title. Obviously, he dropped the, the, the strap to Macho and stuff like that, but and the Warrior. But pretty much, he'd been the champ all the way through that on and off. Now, uh, it was the massive steroid scandal, like you've mentioned at the top of the show, which was basically, uh, there was a doctor who they used to go, I think it's Pennsylvania they used to go, and he was a physician. And he ended up being the WWF's physician, as I do the old, you know, um, in quotations. Yeah, in, in quotations. quotations. He basically yeah. supplied, as Pat Patson called it, the candy for all the wrestlers. Now, we don't have to put two and two That's together right, yeah. to say what that is. So what happened was this guy got impeached in 89. But the WWF, and I've read all up on this, so I'm not saying I've cut anything out of the turn here. They, Linda McMahon, they got hold of this guy and basically said, you need to get rid of everything. So we got rid of everything. But they actually impeached uh, Vince McMahon. So Vince McMahon had this court case mm. hanging over his head from about 91 about all the rest of taking steroids. And Hulk Hogan had gone on the Arsenio Hall show because they all used to go on that warrior went on there, which was just bizarre, macho man. Um, and he went on there and said, I can say hand on heart, I have never taken steroids. But then, and I watched this before we came on, uh, superstar Billy Graham, who Hulk Hogan based his whole gimmick off because he was very similar to Hulk, he had the Van Dyke, he had the you know the muscles. Mm. Hogan wanted to be superstar Billy Graham. Turns around in an interview in '91, and he's retired wrestling goes, "I've injected steroids in Hulk Hogan," and and it actually came out that this doctor who they indicted as well came out and said Hulk Hogan had um, a steroid problem and he had a, a steroid abuse problem. Hence why from WrestleMania eight to WrestleMania 9, Hulk Hogan dropped about 50 pounds worth of muscle and he came back dead lean when they were in mm. WrestleMania 9 and they ended up going to WCW then. But it was this big thing. So what happened was Hulk Hogan had become so unpopular with the fans because they were just tired of say your prayers and you know, eat your vitamins, say your prayers. And when they fought, yeah, basically, bullshit, basically sick of him because he knew it, his whole character was just based on a lie. But when he got eliminated, um, Gorilla Monsoon was all for Sid saying, oh, I thought it was a fair fair throw that, you know, he kicked him out fairly. They had to actually re-record it. So when we watched it this time and they're like, oh my God, he's done a mm. double crossed him and all this. What the hell's he done to Hogan? It was all recorded afterwards in the booth because the crowd were going mental for Sid Justice because they hated Hogan at this point. And they actually, when Hogan come in the ring, mm. they were booing him. So they had to put all false fucking cheers in from old matches with Hulk. So the whole... Let's. I mean, that's. The, the, you make a really good point because let's talk about the finish. I mean, you know, it's. Although it's it's weird. Although Flair is the winner of this um, of this rumble, and rightfully so, deservedly so, wins the heavyweight title. Um, you know, he he stays in there for like you know fifty plus minutes. If you know, uh, it's a great great performance, but that's sort of overshadowed, isn't it? So the final four. It's even the final three. Really, it's important is Hogan, Sid Justice, and Flair. Um, and Sid Justice eliminates Hogan, and then Hogan's sort of like grabbing his arm and trying to pull him out over the top rope, and then Flair comes and, and, and pushes him over. And you go, hey, Flair's got the title. And then they just sort of, it seems to focus in on this this combat, or this, this confrontation between Sid Justice and Hogan. Um, 
and it felt to me a little bit like like you said about the, they, they've you know they've obviously if, if they have I didn't realize that they'd read on the audio that's crazy yeah the- but it almost felt it almost felt to me like they were like okay well someone's someone hasn't got enough attention at this point so that and they want some so we're going to have to give them a bit of a a bit of a push at the end of the show. Well, well, after this as well, Scott, which is weird, was the either press conference where they had like Macho, Ric Flair, Hogan and Justice. So you've got Macho and Justice mm. sat together. You've got Hogan and Flair on the other side. And then you've got Jack Tunney sat there. And Jack Tunney says, oh, Hulk Hogan's going to be the champ, uh, the, the number one contender at WrestleMania 8. This is after the Royal Rumble, even though Rick, cause Ric Flair mm. won it. And then that's where I see Justice becomes full on heel. And then he ends up teaming with Hogan in um, a double... Uh, tag team match against the ring. I think it's against the natural disasters and he ends up leaving Hogan in the ring getting battered by him um, and what what's strange is when you watch Wrestlemania 8 and I know I'm going ahead it's a different event than what we're reviewing but you get Flair and Macho Man which is a great match at Wrestlemania 8 but Hogan yeah. and Sid is the main event and you get literally 20 minutes of build up you get like the fact that he went in the barbershop and kicked the shit out of like the Brutus Barber Beefcake's barbershop and Brutus had to run off and uh, it, it goes on for ages and ages to build up it's almost like like it's built for Hogan again Vince was just throwing everything at Hulk again and I agree Scott the fact that Ric Flair won it from number three is absolutely and you know what he was supposed to do Scott he was supposed to win this from number one Bobby the Brain Heenan actually said Pitch the idea. Why don't you get Ric Flair to come in? You want him to come in strong as number one. No one knows who he is because he'd only ever fought in like Japan and NWA and bits of WCW. Get him to come in as number one and win the Rumble. And Vince was like, that's a great idea. Then Vince was like, actually, let's get him in at number three. And Bobby DeBrain said there was no reason other than the fact that Vince wanted to say it was his idea, even though I'd pitched it to him. And that's why he came in at number three when really he should have come in at number one. But again... What a feat, but it turned into the same stuff. And that's why the crowd were going mad, because they were, they were absolutely all for justice. But we never, I never knew that, even when I watched it. I thought they were all for Hogan, you see. Yeah, it's bizarre. It's a bizarre finish. Um, because, like you say, the show itself, I mean, the, the match ends with, with sort of a confrontation between Hogan and, and Sid Justice, which to me coming back to just watch this event has got no sort of stakes i don't really care about it at all but i'm more impressed by the whole the rumble that's gone before it and then there's this sort of like almost tacked on promo section of rick flair sort of saying about you know he says with a tear in my eye you know i, I sort of i've done all this stuff and i'm the, this is the greatest day of my life as being the number one this belt tells you you are number one and you sort of rule the world blah blah and it almost feels tacked on to sort of say, okay, well, we've given Hogan and Justice their moment now. Right, now let's celebrate the, the actual title. Let's focus in on the title a bit. Um, and so, yeah, the, the last sort of like, I'd say the last sort of five, ten minutes of this, uh, the, the event feel a little bit confused. Um, and don't spoil it at all. Like, don't spoil it at all because it's all really good. Um, but, yeah, it, it does feel like there's definite politics going on. Um, on screen being played out. Yeah, there is. And, and you know, just, I'm going to go right back here, Scott, so apologies. If something I wanted to bring up, yeah. I forgot. He's in the Legion of Doom and Natural Disasters match was when, when they get, they win the match, the Natural Disasters, but they don't actually win the title. It's when they come back to Sean Mooney in the changing rooms and they're going, in the locker room, they're going, we need to speak to our lawyers. It's disgusting. And I'm like, what? Yeah. I know I've gone right back there. Apologies. <laughs> it's just coming in my head. But they were like, you've cheated all the way through this fight, but you're going to get your lawyer involved. What is the lawyer going to do? Jimmy Hart's giving it. I mean, talk about selling. Brilliant. But anyway, sorry. I know I've jumped right back. I just forgot to mention it before. I thought it was brilliant when I watched it. 
No, no, I, do, I agree. That's what that's what I said about the promos. I, I think the, some of the promos on this are really good. Jimmy Hart's fantastic. I think he is let down then by Typhoon and Earthquake, who are just sort of like big shouty blokes, and you sort of like, oh, they they haven't got the nuance <laughs> that some of the others have got. Because um, there's a real sort of hand me off between these. Because again, like sort of Shawn Michaels at one point, they they interview Shawn Michaels uh, about the incident, you know, the situation of him sort of um, putting Marty Jannetty through the window and, and on the. Uh, Beefcake sort of barbershop, and you know it's such a it's it's like a controlled conversation. It's not shouty. It's not you know I'm gonna rip your head off kind of thing. It's a real sort of it's a much more um, pared down promo. And you sort of like this is where the future is going. This is why you know Shawn Michaels became such a superstar. Um, so yeah, no, it's it's a definitely it's an interesting event. Um, but what are your thoughts then for the o- overall? What what were your thoughts on this sort of event? Looking, Looking back, back on it, genuinely, and one of the one of the things I did read up on it, so I'm not like trying to be a smart ass, like a, I know it was the fact that they say this rumble was the market down was one of the best ones buy rate wise. It wasn't. Mm. It died because of what happened with the steroid scandal and Hulk Hogan being exposed mm. and the drug cheat as such. Um, it wasn't. The buy rate was down. I think they only got 290,000 buys, whereas the year before's Rumble, they got 750,000 buys. So it was a massive... This is when it was like dying, where Vince decided to put the strap, didn't he, on mm. Brett and, and Sean the next couple of years. He, he, he moved everything. But what they said was, the six WWF Hall of Famers on here, there was something like four or five WWF champions, new and old, about you know, like you had Shawn Michaels, obviously you had Hogan, Justice won it in ninety five, ninety seven, Ric Flair, Macho Man, Undertaker. You had all these people, but they said potentially off this show because there's still a few that haven't been inducted yet. Like even the fact that Owen Hart didn't go in the Rumble, but he fought in the match, and like you had Legion of Doom Hall of, Hall of Famers. They said there's something like I think it's like I don't. He said eight and nine Hall of Famers with the potential to be another three or four going on there as well like the undertaker and they mm. said like this is one of them royal rumbles that had everything that you would need in a royal rumble but it doesn't get the actual adulation because of the the whole uh unfortunately the steroid scandal was just like a black mark on this year for the wwf but as a spectacle for myself absolutely loved it scott absolute i'm so glad you picked this up well the people picked it didn't they online on twitter but brilliant is, i'm yeah. so glad no, I, I agree. I'm the same. I, mean, I didn't realize how hard it was in the public eye with all that stuff. But this, to me, like you say, we've you know we, we've we've sort of ragged on a couple of things like the bushwhackers and some of uh, Piper's holds and some other bits. But start to finish, uh, from that opening match to to the end sort of promo section, like I was I was so into this event. Like I really enjoyed it. There were moments where I was sort of, I was grinning ear to ear with just you know. Um, just enjoying part of it would be nostalgia like you know just getting really into that sort of some of the gimmicky stuff but um yeah I, I this was a great show like this is a well put together card with some really really good workers working at their peak um but also showing some of that up and coming talent like some of the guys that sort of coming through and stuff so yeah i i, I um i'm so glad i went back and watched this um and <laughs> just enjoyed it and just sort of sat back and enjoyed sort of uh, an early '90s wrestling show yeah. that you know sort of d- doesn't have some. You know, I love the Attitude Era, but this pre-Attitude Era, this is one of the best. I think this is one of those sort of 
pay-per-views i think that should be revisited yeah and I, th- I think from the nostalgia point of view it's like you know we grew up on this and you're right pre-attitude era this is like laying the foundations however it's interesting mm. because now i can't sit there in more than five minutes and watch the product even though they're trying to be a bit more real the better athletes there's no gimmicks really other than like when the undertaker comes or kane might make the odd appearance but they're not really gimmicky anymore they're just names and uh this is just brilliant. It's pure pantomime. And I, I, honestly, it leads a lot to be desired the way that they decided to go to WWF with like the, the Attitude Era and the P, the PG stuff. I've, you know, like saying now, I fucking hate it. it just, it's just terrible. But this is brilliant. It's just ridiculous gimmicks that shouldn't work, but they just do. And, and, and it's just fantastic. Yeah. Oh, no, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, you look at some of the... Uh, I, I haven't actually watched the current uh, WWE for quite a few years now because, like you say, I just sort of went off it. Um, but like you say, there are people, there are there are moments in this that just shouldn't work. You know, like what um, Roddy Roddy Piper's promo with Mean Gene is just sort of like him sort of just getting. It's just there's a hyper energy there, and then him just sort of like he literally sort of like just sort of like fairy waves at the camera and leaves. And you just and then he still comes out as a badass, and you're like, all right, fair enough. It's just Piper being Piper, um, you know. It, it, it's just so good, and it's just ridiculous. And like I say, pantomime. And to me, that's what. To me, that's what wrestling should be. Um, you know, it is a pantomime. It is, it, you know, it's it's not to say it's not real is is a, is a disservice, but it's not a legit fight. You know, it, it is a pantomime. It is a show. But why? So why not go all out and do these things and have these gimmicks and have these sort of like bigger than big characters? Um, yeah, it, it, watching this sort of made me a little bit sort of sad for the, for the passing of this because it's as I said, the genie's out of the bottle. You will never get back to no, this. No, uh, you know what, Scott? I think that's an absolutely perfect description of this. Is you will never the genie in the bottle. You will never ever see this ever. The the gimmicks, everything because. It was the gimmicks we all bought into as kids, weren't we? You know, like, it's such a fucking shame. And as a wrestling fan, I I will watch the wrestling, probably the old school wrestling, until the day they put me in a a fucking wooden box because I love the old school stuff. Mm -hmm. And you're right, it's such a shame. This is full on, full throttle WWF, this. You know, forget all the Attitude Era and all that stuff, which I loved. This is absolutely brilliant. And, And I think... I think what what makes it more than anything is the fact that you know what's coming. The Undertaker, you know, Shawn Michaels. You've got like Bret Hart. You've got these people who carry the WWF afterwards, and some of them. Are, you know, the Undertaker's still fighting now. It's like it's amazing, mm-hmm. amazing to to watch as a spectacle. And, and I think as well, once Jr. and Jerry the King retired. Pretty much, I know Jr's back. Uh, Jerry the King's back now, but he's never going to be as non-PC as he was. But once we lost that dynamic mm. duo, the commentary now is terrible. It's so vanilla. Michael Cole's not great, and he's been there for years. But you look at like Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby the Brain. They make the show. You know what I yeah. mean? Absolutely. And, and I love the fact that Bobby the Brain always used to call Hulk Hogan the Hulkamaniacs, the humanoids, and all that stuff. I just love all yeah. that. You know, <laughs> just, just shit on Hogan all the time, but. No, as a spectacle, Scott, I'm so pleased that this got picked. It was a great rewatch, and it and it's actually as much as I've been disillusioned with wrestling for years, it's made me go back and watch some of the stuff I loved as a kid and why I loved the wrestling. 
Oh yeah, same here. Totally, hundred percent. And I think that's what I've, what I'm enjoying more about this. And I think we, I think you know, we're going to make this a trilogy because it's always good to have, you know, to do at least do a trilogy. So, um, we, we've done a Mania. Yep. We've done a Rumble. I think it's only fair to do a Summer. Oh Slam. yeah, yeah. I'm with you on. They'll have to do another poll if you want, Scott. Throw it out there. I think I think I'm going to do. I'm going to throw out a poll, and I think we'll uh, we'll see which Summer Slam. I'll, I'll do my, a little bit of research, see which ones are the ones to note. And then uh, I'll uh, I'll pick we'll get the uh, the poll out there and we'll do a. Summer Can I slam. throw in SummerSlam? Well, actually, you've got a couple that I wouldn't mind throwing in there. But you, if you want to pick two, I'm not trying to take over. But there's a couple that I know. No, Chris, Chris, you're the guest. Go for it. Which I, I would like you to put in, please, SummerSlam '91 because even though I've got the WWE Network, I've got it on double DVD, and also. Uh, yeah. SummerSlam 92, which was at Wembley, which was the uh, British Bulldogs home club. We had Lennox Lewis come out. And, and that's where the SummerSlam for me, where wrestling became fake, because I told you like, last week about my dad ruining it because of Lisa and the Doom and stuff. But, yeah. but they're the two I'd like to put in the poll. And then, you you know, obviously you want to put another couple in and see where we go with the votes. So we have four, well, a four choice. We'll have 91, 92, and then I'll see what else we've got. Maybe some later down the line, see if we get to it back to a um, maybe an mm. Attitude Era sort of yeah. type. I'll throw yeah, go for it. Well. Awesome. Awesome. As always, Chris, it has been an absolute joy and a pleasure to have you on the show to talk wrestling. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Another great 20th Century Geek episode. Thank you for listening. If you would like to get in contact to suggest topics for future shows or just chat about everything nerdy, you can email me at 20th century geek at gmail.com. That's 20th century geek at gmail.com. Or find me on social media Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Just search for 20th century geek. If you would like to support the show, please go on your podcast catcher and leave a five star review. I would greatly appreciate it. It raises the show in the ranks and lets more people know about the podcast. If you want to show more support for the podcast, we do have an Amazon wish list. Just go on Amazon and search for 20th Century Geek and you will find a list of books that will help with research for future podcasts. And don't forget, we love secondhand books in 20th Century Towers. Once again, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Mm.